got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been getting all the work. And I've been shutting out the stars. Cause when it rain, then it pours. And I'm ready for some more. And I've been reading all the work. And welcome to this episode of Put That Coffee Down, the freight podcast for closers. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm your host, as always. Three years of doing this podcast, and, and it's enjoyable each and every time. We have great guests for you on this episode. It's Paula Estrada. He has about 15 years background as an enterprise. We're working at Enterprise Shippers. The little break between that at Emerge for about a year or so. So he's been on both sides of that coin. He knows uh, both perspectives, but we're going to talk a little bit about freight technology. Uh, he just got back from Manifest a, a couple weeks ago, and um, we're going to talk about what tech was was there and, and the fragmented tech industry in the freight, freight space. And then we're going to talk about a little bit about, you know, what, what entails putting together an annual bid at an enterprise shipper and kind of what that process is. It's about a five-month process. So we're going to talk a little bit about that so get a little bit of insights in in how shippers put all that together. But Paul, thanks for uh, coming on and put that coffee down today. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's jump into it and let's talk about Manifest. And we were talking right before we hit record uh, about the freight tech landscape and, and kind of what you saw out at Manifest and the, the fragmented nature of technology. Um, let, let's start there. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, my first time in Manifest out in uh, Las Vegas and uh, just trying to, I think it's a newer conference. I think it's been around maybe for, I think this might have been year two, maybe year three, and very freight logistics tech heavy focus, which is a little bit different than what, you know, you traditionally see when you go to some of these conferences. It's uh, more of the tra- in the traditional space and a lot of the, the traditional sales channels. Um, so it's really interesting to get the perspective on the tech space. You obviously hear about a lot of these different types of companies. I'm getting sales material on a lot of these different types of companies, but to have many of them under one roof, uh, to be able to just you know go booth to booth and see um, the different types of uh, solutions that are out there today is really almost overwhelming. You know, anything from the uh, you know, autonomous vehicle space to uh, software for brokers, for shippers, to everything in between. And so um, really eye-opening uh, experience. And, um, you know, I, I think something that we all kind of need to stop and benchmark ourselves a little bit and see there's hundreds, if not thousands of solutions out there. And, you know, every once in a while, I need to hit the pause button, assess all the different uh, tech that's in that space and see what might be applicable to your business. So really good, really good time spent out there in Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's what I've heard from everybody who, who spent some time out there. I wasn't able to, to, to make it out. I am going to make it out next year, I, I think, because it, it sounds like a, a cool conference and, and something well worth uh, going to. Let's talk about what, what you saw in the tech space, kind of uh, some things that might be of the most interest. But we, we have to talk about all the different tech companies and, and kind of how they all fit different pieces of a puzzle. And while that's good, everyone's addressing that. Some of the, the limitations and, and, and liabilities that, that go with having such a fragmented kind of landscape when it comes to technology. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how many brilliant minds have entered the space in the last five to seven years, I'd say, you know, traditionally it was just a lot of people that were very operations heavy, kind of grinded out, 
cover the loads and really very tactical in nature. And, and now you're seeing the, the different types of backgrounds that are coming in with people, you know, with educational backgrounds from data science to continuous improvement and all kinds of different facets and coming from different um, industries and trying to bring and see where are the parallels in those industries and how do I bring that into the logistics space. And um, yeah, I mean, just really phenomenal concepts that are out there. I think, you know, a couple trends that come to mind for me. One is, you know, when I think about, you know, the traditional broker space, for example, you had some of these uh, brokers that were building proprietary softwares, um, you know, on their own. And they were, they had these uh, in-house teams that were building the software. And, you know, that was kind of the secret sauce to their business or how they stood out. Um, and now what was interesting is I find that many of these companies are actually, they've built the software and they said, wait, this is really good technology. Why don't I make this available to those that maybe don't have those resources, those that don't have the in-house uh, tech that you know, and software engineers and whatnot. And so that was really interesting, right? Like you wouldn't think that mm-hmm. a broker that traditionally said, oh, this is something that is proprietary to me and my business and helps me stand out. It's like, no, this is a really, this can be for anybody, right? And from an agent, per, from anyone in an agent model to anything in between. And so that was really fascinating to me, I would say, as, as, a, as one of the main call outs. And I, I think one of the, the, the primary reasons for that is you're, 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 you know, building this proprietary system gives you a little bit of an edge in a very competitive industry that whenever you go to exit that business gives you very limited multiples on that. Right. If you if you market that out to your competitors or, or other freight brokerages, kind of pivot, then you become a SaaS company with very high multiples and uh, you know somewhat of a competitive, uh, more of a competitive advantage than what you would as a DFM because mostly the, the DFMs are now pivoting toward um, selling and being an enterprise or being a software solutions provider for other freight brokerages out there. So I, I think that's some of the, the strategy on that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that that that's happening right now. It, it's kind of the best of both worlds, right? If you're, if you're in that space, you can very quickly scale on the revenue side with your, with the mm-hmm. brokerage, right? Which is appealing. And then to your point, right. But you do have a subset of your revenue or sales channel that is a tech piece. So you can kind of leverage the, exponential revenue growth with the a tech uh, type of multiple. And that's kind of a, if you can marry those things together nicely, that's that's a really nice business that you have going on. It, it is. It is. And you're seeing most of the, the, the platforms come out having some kind of a brokerage attached to it, at least for some point of its life cycle or the company's life cycle. And, right. um, and you see that more and more common building tech and, and kind of maybe beta testing that, that yeah. tech with your own freight brokerage before you roll it out, which is, yeah. which is interesting. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of different companies chasing a lot of different specific problems and, and finding solutions for that. But that, that means it's fragmented. You have a lot of companies that you have to piece together, uh, to have a holistic or usable, you know, end-to-end, one-screen solution type of uh, of product. And what we're seeing is a lot of fragmentation, a lot of people working on very – because it's logistics, right? You have very unique problems for each little process in the, the supply chain and uh, in, in transportation as well. What are your, some of your thoughts on that? 
Yes, that's a you're spot on, right? So walk in that conference hall, I'm almost thinking, man, that's a really that's a great solution. This is a great solution. I mean, right? You see all these different, and then and then you start thinking about, but how am I going to integrate this into my business? How am I going to implement it? And you know, the the first thought that comes right is like, man, I, I really wish I could take you know this software and these other two softwares and somehow Frankenstein them together, and now I've got this comprehensive solution that I love, as opposed to well, I like these three solutions, but now I've got to log into this portal and this platform. And before you know it, you've got, you know, 10 screens open on your desktop and your and one system's not talking to the other. And so, yeah, I just, there's a lot of, like I said, brilliant people out there and creating really brilliant solutions. Um, and I think a lot of these companies have these roadmaps of, oh yeah, I want to get to this, right? And, but that could be, well, one, it's very expensive. And two, it's, well, how far down is that? Because I want this now. Uh, and you're telling me, well, I could have this maybe a year from now, two years from now. And so I really believe that there's this opportunity uh, for companies to maybe think about, you know, coming together with more strategic partnerships and saying, you know, rather than me being on an island creating uh, this solution and building it out over time, it's like, no, let's bring something to market that uh, with complementary softwares and bring that all together into a more comprehensive solution. And so I haven't seen a ton of that going on when you look at, you know, I, I think the area where you do see that is, you know, with the TMS providers in particular, I think they're doing a much better job with more universal API connectivity. And you're constantly, you know, on your LinkedIn feed feed saying, oh, we're now integrated with this TMS provider. And so the idea is certainly out there. I think every un, everyone understands that it's something that has to happen. It just feels as though it's very much in its infancy stages. And my thought is how can we maybe spur that to happen at a much faster pace? Yeah, it, it, it really does, whether it's consolidation in the traditional way of acquisitions or partnerships and joint ventures, it, it needs to happen. We're, we can all envision that the user side of it and how difficult it is. But you just mentioned that as well, that the shopping side of it, because that means you're responsible for creating this Frankenstein approach, uh, which takes a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of dedication to come up with all of those different parts to make something that you can use internally, right? And and by the way, it's not even just limited to, I mean, we're talking about it in the context of software, but you know, the other big um, example I'll give is this um, consortium that you heard announced by you know, Convoy, Uber, and JB Hunt, right? These massive companies that now all of a sudden said, hey, we're competitors, but now are saying, wait, but there's this common problem that we're facing. Um, and if we can come together, um, you know, we can maybe solve this this really large problem together. And so, again, I think people are, are now becoming open to this idea of it. So it's exciting to see that. It's just really early on. It's just like encouraging people to think about, what, there's so many of those types of synergies that exist, but first we have to get over the fact that, you know, there's this fine line now between we're competitors versus we're not competitors versus we can be, uh, you know, we can be collaborators. And so it's a very interesting time in the space. And I think sometimes you have to be collaborators for the, the industry in general, right? Talk about all right, all tides, you know, lift, lift, what, rising tides, lift all boats. Uh, that's the, that's the saying, all you know, rising tides lift all boats, and in part, talk about fragmentation and talk about an utter nightmare uh, for for everybody, from shippers to freight brokers to carriers, 
to warehouse workers is scheduling pickups and drop-offs. I mean, it's 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 one of the biggest problems out there, and it's something that everyone wants to solve. And if you solve that, um, or if you make a dent in it even, uh, it's just going to help everybody else out, and it's going to help yourself out quite a, quite a bit on, a, on, on their own way. Yeah, so it just feels like we just, uh, you know, the last five to seven years can be defined as the tech boom, right? And now we're kind of entering this new stage of maturity as an industry. So it's just been, it's been a really fun ride over the last 15 years to see, you know, if I think back to, you know, 2008 when I when I first started out and to where we are today, it's been it's been phenomenal. It's exciting um, because I think we're really setting the stage for some pretty incredible things to happen over the next, you know, five to 10 years. I, I think so too. I, I think there's there's a lot of really neat things out there. You saw a lot of those at, at manifest. It's just a, a matter of taking those ideas, taking those uh, micro solutions, almost right. There's kind of micro solutions and applying it to putting putting it all together. Right. right? I think that's that's the key to it. Right? Is is putting all that together in a non Frankenstein way. That's right. That's Ryan right. Frankenstein. Uh, anything else at Manifest that that, that really impressed you, or uh, that's it? You know, there there's quite a bit of a show in terms of the you know autonomous vehicle space. Um, you know, just learning where we're at there. I think you know that still seems like it's a little bit far out, but um, you know, prog- progress, right? And think about when that all first came uh, to light, um, which you know wasn't that long ago, but to now see these trucks on the showroom floor, right? It's something tangible. It's not just this mm-hmm. concept and idea. It's no, it's right here in front of you and it's happening. And so, you know, things like that were really exciting to see as well, for sure. It is. It's exciting to see all that. I, I think I, I'll get your opinion for this. Do you think freight tech companies um, go from autonomous to especially the software? Do you think they're, they're doing a better job these days of, of talking about problems and solutions uh, everyday uh, type of of use cases, rather than a foreign language to to most of their their customers who are freight brokers and and shippers and you know trucking people who are trying to solve you know trying trying to make better workflows and they don't really understand the architecture and um, AI or machine learning. It's just, how is this going to improve my day-to-day life? Yeah. That's a really interesting question, Kevin. As soon as you said it, man, I, a lot of ideas flooded to my mind because, yeah, I'm constantly being pitched, right, new tech. Uh, and you see these decks. And one thing I'll say about these decks is they're they're beautiful, right? I mean, they're slick mm-hmm. looking. Uh, they're very well done. If I think back to some of the more rudimentary decks from early on when I was being um, pitched on, on different things. So in terms of, I appeal. It's 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 awesome, right? But one interesting thing, uh, when as soon as you said that, I thought of is some of these solutions feel so complex, right? And this is somebody I've been in this industry for quite a while, and I read through some of these decks, and I kind of stop and I say, I'm still not, <laughs> I'm not completely clear on what the solution, what you do. I, I think you're solving. Way. Like, what are you trying to solve for? And so, and you I know, another, I run, I run oh, sorry, into sorry. that. A lot more than you would expect. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I just a better way to say that too is is abstract versus concrete. Right. 
right? They're, they're still in the abstract and you're just like, well, I, I kind of understand what you're saying, you know, integrations and automation, but what does that really mean? How, you know what I how, think that, how can I apply this to my day-to-day life? I, I think it's, you again, you have these people coming from outside the industry, so these software developers, brilliant and engineers, right? These brilliant minds and even the salespeople coming from other software tech mm-hmm. space, right? Um, but are not framing the problem as well as they should for people in the logistics space, right? There's always this kind of issue with, okay, when I'm creating this tech company, obviously I need these people from outside the industry, but what is that balance of also having the subject matter expertise to balance that out? And what I find is that many organizations don't get that balance correct. And so, and that's reflected in the sales material because you see these people that don't, that are putting together decks or the salespeople that don't completely understand the problem that then the nuances of the problem that they're trying to solve. And that shows in the sales material. And I think that's what leads to that disconnect that I can't, you know, that's hard to overcome. It, it is, you know, I, over the years, I, I think they're, they're getting better at that. But, you know, three, four years ago, you'd go to a website and I could go through the entire website and I had like, I have no idea what this company does. Yeah. Right. Day to day. I really don't know. I really, it sounds really cool. I can kind of understand the, the problems that they're, they're shooting after, but what does that mean in, in day to day terms? Because, you know, I mean, you're selling to a lot of freight brokers and trucking people and we're, we're not the sharpest knives in the drawer. <laughs> we, we need things dumbed down for us, you That's know, right. and um, we need dollar amounts and we need time. We need those kind of numbers and not abstract kind of inferences to, to something that we can't really put our finger on. And, and just doing a better job of tying it back to the person that you're selling to like, how, okay, I, I under, now I understand this conceptually, but help me understand how this works within the framework and context of my business. Right. And so, I, and yeah, so there's just a lot of, you know, to your point, it was really bad before. I would say if I had to guess now, probably at least 50% of the time, it's still an issue, but to your point, it is getting better. But I mean, for even 50% to me is still, there's a lot That's of so opportunity high. to get that right. You know, a lot. there's a lot of opportunity. Um, but let's talk about day-to-day work and, you know, with your experience background with enterprise shippers, what does the annual bid process look like from your seat? Like your day-to-day, kind of what's really important for you each day to, to put this together? Because it's, it, right now it's what, about a five-month process? It's, it's almost like, but well, it is budgeting. Uh, I, I had a finance job once, and I spent five years, or five years, five months on the, the annual budget. A lot of work goes into that. It is a five-month process, and I think I, I saw a MIT um, research paper in the last couple of years that polled dozens of shippers, and uh, it suggested that the average span of a bid is anywhere from three to five months. So um, definitely on the higher end at, at five months, but depending on the complexity of your network, that's just what it takes. And uh, it seems kind of crazy to think about, right, in this day and age that that a, a bid could take that long. But when you really dig into the nuts and bolts uh, of what it takes to complete a bid, you start to understand why that's required, right? And yeah. if I think about a bid, I break it up really into three segments, one being uh, the 
data data collection or data gathering, right? I, I have to have a framework and foundation from which to build a bid. And this is something that you hear a lot of um, maybe a shipper putting out a bid that, you know, do they really know what their volume is, how much volume they're getting on each lane? And is this volume going to actually materialize? What Which portion of this bid is going to materialize? Which portion isn't? So for me, you know, stage one, foundation, making sure that you're working with your organization to put together as comprehensive of a forecast as you possibly can is crucial. Um, and what goes along with that piece too is, I don't want to just throw out a document that has a bunch of lanes and maybe has the mileage and the estimated truckload count. No, I want to get really specific on the operational nuances of the freight. I think a lot of times when you see a routing guide fail, it's because, you know, care bids on a lane, not understanding the operational nuances of that lane, right? What are the receiving hours? Is this, is this drop and hook or live load? Is this uh, tendered through TMS? Is this through email? I mean, right? All these things that go into the transaction cost of servicing that freight. Um, Seasonality. I learned the season. All right. And so I learned that early on. And so I really tried to be very deliberate in putting together as much documentation, as much documentation as I could regarding the operations of the freight so that a carrier, you know, your incumbents typically know that. And so they can bid intelligently. But if I wanted to bring, you know, non-incumbents into the bid, I've really got to have this framework very detailed um, so that, um, like I said, I, I'm not being given paper rates or I'm giving paper rates at a much lower frequency than I otherwise would, right? So, so again, preparation is huge. That's and that's step one. Yeah, I mean that, that is important. You know, is it drop, drop and hook? Is it live load? What are the receiving hours? What, you know, what days of the week maybe that most common? You know, whatever you can get in detail, you do that. And while you have a lot of the data, you have to, to depend on demand planners. You know, right. the sales team marketing finance to, to give you these demand forecasts for for the next year, next 12 months or whatever that time frame is. Uh, and then you have to disseminate that, put that. Yeah. Demand. You know, these, these fork and you know, they do their very best job at forecasting. Um, but even the best fork, it's, I mean, it's hard, right? It's hard to know what is uh, consumer demand going to look like five months from now, right? It's like, you have your historical data and you, and you use it as best as you can. But especially if you're in a growing business, there's going to be unknowns. And how, how do I um, how do I make the right assumptions around that? So that if you look at the five month process, that's about let's call it one to two months of it is just data collection, gathering, yeah. structuring the bid, um, you know, getting it all into the formats um, that you want prepping your, you know, going through a prep with your carriers, you know, walking them through all the documentation, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then the actual bid itself, you know, could be anywhere from a month or two, depending on the rounds uh, and the size of the bid. But, you you know, typically you see a shipper's going to have at least two rounds uh, in a bid with some feedback mechanism in between. Um, and so then that takes place. Um, and then, um, the optimization, right? Once you've got all your variables and and all your bids in place, then it's you know you could run hundreds, if not thousands, of variables. I want to take incumbency into account. I want to limit the amount of broker. I want to limit the amount mm -hmm. of total exposure I have with any one care. I mean these 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 
these algorithms get so I mean, you, any way you, you want to slice and dice it and that itself can take another month. Right. And then mm-hmm. you're going to your internal stakeholders and saying, okay, here's, here's the tentative routing guide that I put together. You, you got to get sign off from your operations group. You know, do you like, do you want to be given this much to this carrier, et cetera. And so there's a lot of internal negotiation that, that goes on before you can kind of come to your, your final routing guide. So I would consider that, you know, step two. And then step three, if you're using a TMS in particular, is okay, now I've got to take all this bid information and documentation and convert that into a language that my TMS can understand. So I can build a routing guide that's got rates, capacities, that, you know, allocations, uh, cap limits, if you if you do cap limits, um, waterfall system, if you're doing, you know, primaries versus backups. So there's a lot of complexity that goes into then actually building a routing guide that your TMS can understand. Uh, and then you can click that button and go live. And then, you know, with when it comes to go live, it's, you know, working through all the different challenges of, okay, I got to, I got to, if it's dropping, I got to reposition equipment and get that set up. I got to get them to meet with the DC managers, operations managers, make sure they're on the same page, um, you know, uh, training on the team. I mean, just, I can go on and on, but that's kind of at a high level, you know, that's, yeah. that's how it and so, so when you if you're expanding that pool of of transportation providers, right? Whether it's a carrier asset base or non asset base, you are inserting one additional name into a very complex process, which is is probably not an easy thing to do, and it creates a little bit more work. So that that tells me that to do that, you have to offer exceptional value. To, to be added to the, the process, right? It's not as if simple as want, calling Paul and, and saying, what do you guys do again? Right. <laughs> you know, what, what product do you sell? You know, I haven't looked at your website. I haven't done anything. Can I get on the RFP? Yeah, if you if you really want to do your, your care onboarding a service is, just like the, the saying goes, right? You get as much out of it as you put into it. And so I really focus on if I'm going to onboard if I'm going to go through the trouble of onboarding new care, which I do think there's value in always assessing, you know, there's always going to be another provider that fits better mm-hmm. into your network. And you should always have your eyes and ears open for those opportunities. But yeah, I tell my team all the time, you know, this has to be viewed as, as if you are onboarding a new team member onto our team, meaning they need to be trained on systems, operational nuances, reporting, you name it, right? You can't just bring a care in, have them been say, Oh, okay, I like this price you know, send me all your information, I'll get you set up and then let them go flounder and try to figure it out. And then you get to your QBR and say, man, you guys are performing to your on-time delivery is terrible. Your tender acceptance is terrible. You know, what, what's going on here, right? And so, <laughs> yes, being very deliberate in the onboarding process is something that I focus a lot of our time and attention on. And, um, you know, even, you know, before that, the vetting process, is if, if I'm going to dedicate this much time into onboarding you because I want you to be successful, then I didn't I need to make sure that whoever I'm onboarding has a very high likelihood of success. Right. And again, I'll use the analogy of, of onboarding a, a new employee or team member mm-hmm. is when you post a new role, you get resumes. You don't just bring all, you know, you get 10 resumes, you don't just say, okay, all 10 of you are hired. You're gonna find the best one out of those 10 to hire. And to and if you approach carrier vetting and onboarding in the same manner, you know, it, it should follow the same type of cadence, which is, yeah, I'm going to look at 
potentially hundreds of, of cares that have you know solicited in various shapes and forms over the course of the year. Uh, but I'm not going to onboard all of them. I will, however, find those five or 10 that I think have the best shot at being successful. And even with that vetting, I may only, maybe only half of them might make it, right? And so mm-hmm. and you can be really thorough about it and it can be very, uh, a, a very valuable activity if you're doing it correctly. Yeah. I, so if we could take a step back to sure. what we were talking about before and talk about technology, how important is having the right integrations or being able to integrate with your TMS to, to have information flow seamlessly to your transportation provider and back in that onboarding equation? The tech helps. I mean, you know, you want, you want to have the EDI setups or API setups that you need, um, but when you look at the, the different, the, the tech, it's interesting, right? It may help you stand out. But honestly, even to this day, for me, it always comes down to the person that's going to be running my account. I don't, I don't care what the name is on your business card or email signature, how flashy that is. They have tech that will help support the, the operations of the business. But at the end of the day, it always comes back to that account manager, right? The person that's going to be in the weeds day in and day out rolling up their sleeve. And so I often find that, yes, the tech piece may help you stand out, but when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of what's going to actually be successful, like again, going back to I'm hiring an employee, I want that person that I know. It, de- it doesn't matter if you're at this company, you know, company A, B, or C, you follow that person around because you know that person can execute the business. Yeah, there's uh, a couple years ago, the first time you were on Put That Coffee Down, this was what we talked about almost exclusively, right? You know, that that business card, that whether it's a top 10 name or a top 100 name or a top 1,000 name or a name you never heard of mm-hmm. in some respects is oftentimes doesn't have much weight to your overall decision. It's that person on the other end of the phone, and that's how you can stand out. That's right. And that's how you must stand out as a salesperson, no matter what, what, who you're working for, what names attached to your name. Oftentimes, you know, a a great preponderance of, of the value comes from you yourself in that seat making. And and you touched on it a few minutes ago, but it's, and the first thing you can tell, right, is, is how much research have they done on your business like how much due diligence how much do they do they care about the sale you know i often hear the phrase dialing for dollars right and a lot of these companies say okay i just need you to make 100 dials a day i don't care you know they're they're not saying this but it's hey you know what quantity over quality and i'm the complete opposite it's make five or ten calls a day but make those just high high quality calls um or reach outs and those are going to be way more valuable in my opinion than just going the dial in for dollar per hour, that they are, you know, and I, I do think there's a, there's a place for dialing for dollars. If you don't know what you're talking about anyway, no amount of research is going to help you today. You just got to get accounts to keep your job, and the the, the further you, you move up, and when you start talking to enterprise shippers, it's quality over quantity at that point, right? right. Um, so if you have people dialing for dollars to to, to Paul Estrada, it's, it's not just not going to work. <laughs> uh, but but it's going to work for for something, I guess. I yeah. I don't know, but yeah, when you have enterprise sales, uh, that is more quality over quantity. If you're talking about just a list of names, just to get you started, sometimes right. you got to do that. But 
Um, but you're not going to land too many RFPs dialing for dollars. That's just right. a fact of the game. That's fair. Yeah, I think uh, there's probably yeah, you're right. There's a place place and time for that, but you know, specifically to the enterprise shipper, I, I don't. I don't, at least for me, that that, that doesn't work. So yeah, yeah you see, it, it, uh, really the the quality of some of the the calls, right? It's it's you can tell when someone has researched the heck out of your company. They researched the heck out of you, right? They may know you know, uh, where you went to school. You know, I think <laughs> on my LinkedIn, I mentioned that I coach Little League, right? So some even mentioned mm-hmm. that. They know I'm, I'm a Dodger fan. I mean, just different things, right? That just signal to you that you, you genuinely care about this cell and you care about the details, right? And that's just one way that you can demonstrate that. Yeah. And that goes a long way. How about like industry knowledge too? You know, uh, the, this guy, I mean, or this gal that they call me up and they know what industry I'm in, that they know how, how this works. Right. They know maybe my customer, how their industry works. They, they, they know a little bit more than how to get a truck here. Yeah. Is that important? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see, again, I, I think when you, when you've done this long enough, there's so many phrases that you see that just, you know, they come off like, you know, I, I work day and night for you. I'm, I'm available 24 seven. I, you know, I, I don't stop until I get the job. I was like, okay, that's great. I mean, you can say all those things, but demonstrate to me, what does that really mean? Like take it one or two layers deeper than that mm-hmm. and tell me what you mean by that. And yeah, I don't, I don't think enough people. Do yeah. That. that kind of goes back to the, uh, the, the freight tech conversation a little bit about abstract versus concrete, right? You know, I'll, I'll work day and night for you. Well, what does that even mean? And anyone can say that, right? Right. Um, we we power this by AI. Well, that's great. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> what does that mean for me on the floor, right? And, and 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 taking that down to more concrete, sticky level of what does that really? What does this abstract con- concept of I'm I'm available twenty four seven? What does that actually mean in real world day to day applications? For sure, yeah, I think that nails it. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that, that's that's something that is very hard to do to demonstrate that to a total stranger in such a way. It's a very difficult thing to do, but that's the reason why you get paid so much if you make it happen, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's this that that's the key. Um, so yeah, so so the bid process, uh, onboarding new transportation providers. Um, reaching out to shippers, what you need to know that kind of, you know, you, you said it all right there. That's some, that sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, um, thanks for taking time to, to join us once again on put that coffee down the freight sales podcast for closers. And, um, you're pretty active on LinkedIn, right? Paul Estrada, yeah. you can yeah. just, uh, LinkedIn, Google, Search, I guess. I always say Google, but you can search for Paul Estrada, you know, reach out and say hi. Um, don't say I'll work tirelessly on your account. Demonstrate <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, you can do that. And um, and again, Kevin Hill on LinkedIn, you can reach out and, and tell me that, that you'll work tirelessly for me. And and I'm gullible enough to, to, to believe anything. So, um, yeah. but yeah, you can. Download podcast anywhere you download podcasts. Uh, three years, 160, 170 episodes. There's plenty. And there's Paul's first episode back in, I don't know, 2020. 
That's right. 2019, 2020. It was was a long time ago. It was there. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Thanks again, Paul. And uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah. We'll catch you at at some conference very soon, I'm sure. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. No, you don't.